0: Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. It's a privilege to come up and drive up from Dayton and worship with each one of you again. It's been a gorgeous Sabbath. You know, every Sabbath is a foretaste of heaven, is it not? And I know that some, at least some friends of mine have had a tough week. Uh, I empathized with at least two families this week. I have a, friend out in uh, southern california we went to atlanta adventist academy together he he's a pastor in southern cal and and his lovely wife has battled cancer for a couple years and she passed away this week she was just 40 years old grace and so I, i my my heart empathizes with isaac and and his two two boys uh you know jesus just can't come soon enough can he uh, and then, and then I, I received the news this morning, um, you know, Livia, our, our dear sister from the Westlake Church, uh, also passed away and, and all of that, and so my heart aches. You know, we want Jesus to come, and, and we want many people to be ready for Jesus to come too. You know, we're stuck in between this. We want Jesus to come sh- soon, but there are so many that still need to hear the good news. Isn't that right? And so our prayer should be every day, Lord, what can I do today to share Jesus, so that others can know Jesus, uh, come come to know Him, and look forward to see Him. And so today I'm I'm a bit heartbroken, as as sure as not as much as some of my friends who are struggling this morning, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord that reminds us what heaven will be like. This is the day that re-energizes us and helps us to face another week that's before us. Let's face it, we are in uncharted territory as a world, are we not? Uh, there's a book I recently read by Todd Bolsinger, Canoeing the Mountains. How uh, they were trying to get, you know, to the West Coast, uh, the, the, uh, and, and, and they ran into the mountains. Um, you know, Lewis and Clark and their expedition. They thought they could take their canoes and there would be a river that would take them all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And they ran into the Rockies. And that's kind of how I feel, you know, we're canoeing in this world towards the end and we just ran into the Rockies. And, And we brought our canoes. And you know, as I read on social media, there's a lot of talks about, you know, what's right and wrong and when we're choosing sides, and that kind of saddens me a little bit. And so today I want to talk about freedom, because one of the big things that we're kind of um, on the fence or, or, or in groups about is freedom. And one of the things I hear a lot is, "My freedom's being taken away. I, I need to do something about it." And so maybe I, I want us to take our minds a little bit higher up. And consider what freedom are we fighting for now, I get it. you know um, I was born in Romania and 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 in Romania, uh, I was born during the time of communism, so i I understand the lack of national freedom. I grew up in that. My dad risked his life to give us freedom, literally risked his life, so I understand the importance of freedom. But I wonder if we're putting too many uh, eggs in this basket of national freedom to the point where we're neglecting true freedom, completeness in Jesus Christ. So I'm not against national freedom. I love the fact that I can come to church free. I'm thankful for that fact. If I read the Bible correctly, one day it won't be here. I'm okay with that, but what I would rather have is the freedom of the soul in Jesus Christ. And so today, that's what I want to talk about, if that's okay with you. Could we pause for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us? Gracious Father, today we invite the Holy Spirit again to be in our midst as we open your word. Help us, Father, in the midst of a world that is in turmoil and chaos and and uncertainty that we may focus on Jesus and find certainty. Help us today to rise above the little groups and cliques that we find ourselves in to be connected to Jesus Christ and to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Lord, lift our minds us uh, uh, up to your word and may the Holy Spirit give us understanding. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my thoughts be acceptable unto you, for you are my rock, my redeemer. May your words speak, not my words. May your will be done. May we today be refreshed, energized, encouraged, and yes, even challenged by the Holy Spirit to live faithfully for Jesus Christ. is my hope and prayer in in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Freedom. What does freedom look like to you? And I remember coming home. In Romania, as a little boy, and our home ransacked. Thieves didn't come through. The government did. They were looking for religious material. There wasn't freedom. We were asked to go to school on Saturday. We would rather go to church. There were those that gave up careers of being an attorney, a doctor, because they didn't have the freedom to take their test on another day other than Saturday. But I would rather say that those individuals had more freedom in a time of a lack of freedom than many do today. You see, you can be truly free even in a time of no freedom. Uh, I want us to start in the book of Genesis and we'll end up in Revelation. And I don't want to scare you. I know the Bible is a big book. We will skip a whole lot, but we will start in Genesis in a time when the world was in chaos. It tells us here in Genesis chapter 1, and it should be easy to find Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I'll admit it to you that there's more in these two texts that I don't understand than I really do understand. And my friend here teaches biology and got his PhD in biology. He probably understands much more than I do of the chaosness of the world when God came and how did it happen and when does chaosness come here? And all of that is beyond me. I'd like to sit down with Jesus one day and have him explain some of this. That would be a wonderful discussion. But one of the things I learned from this text is the fact that the earth was without form and void. It was incomplete. It was here incomplete. And numbers start showing up in Genesis chapter 1. They kind of show up at first kind of incognito, kind of in subtlety. Yes, there's day 1, day 2, those are numbers. But really, if you look at the Hebrew language, the verse 1 is made of 7 characters. And right away, the number 7 shows up. Not only is it made of 7 characters... But, you, uh, but you'll find that verse 2 is composed of 14 words or characters, seven times two. The word create is seven times. The phrase, God saw that it was good, occurs seven times. The key word, uh, phrase, it was so, seven times The word for God, Elohim, 35 times. For those of you that are good in math, that's 7 times 5 this week. And the word earth, Haaretz, is 7 times 3, 21 times. As if Moses, when he's writing the creation story, right away in the beginning of Genesis 1, in the beginning God created, even that phrase, God is in the center, he wants to put God in the center of the creation story, And he writes the number seven everywhere, everywhere, because it is the number for what? Divinity, perfection, it's God's number. And you go to the book of Revelation, and does the number seven show up again? Well, I don't know, seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, to give a few examples, right? And so, the Bible begins with God, ends with God. It's God's story throughout. It is about Him and His people. But there are other numbers in Genesis. On day 6, who was created? Well, land animals, Adam and Eve. That's the number of mankind. And that's why when you go to Revelation, you have what? The men of sin, the number of the men. Sin, 666, right? There's a number, another number in Genesis 1, and that is 10. And it shows up in in, in the phrase, God said. Ten times, God said. And that's an important number in the Bible because it's the number of completeness. And you're probably wondering, where are you going with this? Well, you cannot have completeness without the presence of God. And so, God shows up in this earth without form and void, chaos, natural order, and in seven days, God said ten times, and what you find is completeness. And throughout the Bible, the number ten is a number of completeness, all right? Now, something happens again in Scripture, because you'll find in Genesis chapter 3 that sin enters the world. So you go from uh, natural chaos to completeness to now to moral chaos caused by sin. And it would be wonderful if God again recreates in six days and creates moral order. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But it took thousands of years. You know, don't hold me to a 6,000 theory. There are thousands of years until God recreates moral order why is it taking God longer when he could create order in seven days now it's taking well see he's dealing with hearts now he's dealing with lives he's not for forging his will on inanimate objects he's dealing with the universe with angels and so now God has to deal differently So now he has to deal with sin. And sure, God could have done it in seven days. Couldn't he not? But God's taking longer to deal with it once and for all. Because he has to deal with the power of sin. And the penalty of sin. And the presence of sin. And in order to deal with all of that, God's taking longer. Because the way that God deals... With the penalty of sin. And I know there are better words for it. But I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with my letter P's here. Penalty, power, and presence. So give me that uh, permission. The way he deals with the penalty of sin. Is through the blood of Jesus. Justification by faith is what we call it. We are no longer under the penalty of sin. Because Jesus died on the cross. His blood covers us. But there's still the power of sin in my life that God has to deal with. We call that sanctification, isn't it? It's a lifelong process. And then there's the presence of sin. One day in the future when Jesus comes, he will deal with the presence of sin. He will eradicate sin forever. And so because God has to deal with the penalty and the power and the presence of sin, What theologians call justification and those big words, you know, and glorification. You know, you can't make any word big. Just put T-I-O-N at the end. And now it's a big word, you know. And so, the way God deals with this, now he's going to bring about completeness. This was brought out in the time of Exodus, if you remember. God's people ended up in slavery In the beginning of Exodus, or you can say towards the end of Genesis, they were going into Egypt. And now they were incomplete. They were slaves to the Egyptian. God brings them out of Egypt. He brings them out of the penalty or the presence of that. But now, Egypt is still in them. They're not, are you getting it? They're no longer in Egypt. They left Egypt. But Egypt is still here and here. So how is God going to remove Egypt from here and here from the lives of the Jewish people? Well, I think God started the process as he brought them out of Egypt and led them to the Mount of Olives. Because there at the Mount uh, Mount of Olives, Mount Sinai, there at Mount Sinai, he gave them the Ten Commandments. Now, why would God do that? They are free people, aren't they? They're no longer in Egypt. And you could say they have what? Freedom. But I reckon, I reckon to say they don't have freedom yet. And that's why I'm kind of confused with some of us today where we're fighting so hard for a freedom that's really not freedom when well, we should be fighting for a freedom. It gives us true freedom. Again, I'm not against national freedom. I, I, my, my dad gave his life, right? Risked his life for us to have freedom in this country. I'm not against that. But I would rather have the freedom that Jesus gives than the freedom that a government gives. And I'd rather fight in my life for the freedom of Jesus Christ than to tweet away all day for a freedom that passes away. All right? Now, you can do both. I think you ought to use your vote. I think you ought to use your voice. I think you ought to do so, but do that in the context of a Christian. Do that in the context of a Christian. And so what you find here is something that I I noticed in the scripture that Anton read for us. Uh, go to, uh, James chapter 1. I want you to notice it with me. And then we'll go to Ac- Exodus because th- I think this is wonderful. Hebrews. After Hebrews you find James. James chapter 1. Alright. And really I want to just focus in on 25. He so eloquently read from the old King Jimmy version. I'm using New King James here, but James chapter 1 verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect love what? Are you there? All right. But he who looks into the perfect law of, again, liberty, and continues in it, and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed again. And again, he repeats this in chapter 2, verse 12, in case you missed it the first time. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the love of what? Now, often in James chapter 1, we use evangelist. you hear it used as the law is a mirror, right? And that's the idea. And I remember I, I even had this discussion with some folks as Bible studies. The law is like a mirror. We go to James chapter 1. You look in it. But, but, but then I realized it's not just a mirror. The law is what? Freedom. Liberty. The law of God frees me. Now, wait a second. What does that even mean? Well, m- some of you may not know, but I, I kind of have a lead foot. And, and, and that means that when I get a car, in the car, in order to work for the Lord, I sometimes dry like the devil. And, and, and I've learned over the years to, to temper it down after my wallet has gotten uh, lighter, that it's good to obey the laws of the land as it comes to the speed limit. And nowadays I've learned to say 9 you're fine, 10 you're mine. But I'm getting better at it too. You get the idea where the, the cop will let you get away with a little bit over. Maybe not 9, maybe like 5 is fine. But 10 you're definitely the cops. But the, the point is that I used to look as, at, the, the, at the law, the speed limit, as restrictive of my freedom to drive as fast as I want it to. And some of the states that you don't want to go through are states that have very restrict, like Pennsylvania. Okay, but I, you see how I get, I get digressed. This is a, a touchy subject for me. The point is, I said cruise, cruise control now. That that has helped. You set it, and then you praise Jesus that you're free. And, and the point that I'm getting at is the older I get, in obeying the speed limit has freed me to stay on the highway and not to be next to the highway visiting a police officer. You see, and and it's really the same when it comes to the law of God. That the way God frees us, I get this, is through the therapy of the Ten Commandments. That the Ten Commandments are not restricting me, but freeing me. Now, I grew up in a very conservative environment in Romania. And that means when I grew up, a lot of things we've heard is don't do this, don't do that. We walk to church. And so you're not allowed to rip a leaf on the way to church. You're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do that. And, you're, and, and to me, the law was very what? restrictive if you would have told me that God's law frees you you would have been like I don't think we're looking at the same law and often we look at God's law that way because again most of them start off with what you shall not you shall not but in the you shall not it does not restrict you it frees you and do you see how many how many ten commandments do we have that shouldn't be a hard question there's ten of them. And why ten? That is what? A number of completeness. How does God bring freedom back, completeness back, into a world that is morally bankrupt through the therapy of the Ten Commandments that frees us? So when you go to Exodus chapter 20, and I notice you're not saved By keeping of the law. The penalty justification. Is through Jesus Christ. Sanctification by faith. Don't don't misunderstand all of this. Don't throw out. The dirty water and the baby together. I know that's a bad analogy. I'm sorry. But you get what I'm saying. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 1. Look at Exodus chapter 20. Verse 1. And God spoke All these words saying that, that when, when it says there God spoke all these, you can say that words, you can say their promises. Or you can say their vows. When I think of vows, I, I think of a wedding. I, I, I'm getting old now, so when I'm asked to do a wedding, it's like almost tears come to my eye as I see the bridegroom and, and, and I see the, you know, the bride and, and the way they look at each other and, and it just reminds me of the love of Jesus for His bride and it's a beautiful festive occasion and you hear the vows made to each other. It, it, you know, you gotta be touched by that. And here at Mount Sinai, God makes a vow to his people. I have brought you out of Egypt, but I, I want you to be complete. You have national freedom, but that's not enough. I want you to be complete. Here are my vows. Here are the ways that you can be complete in me. And, and you know every law, the under-foundation of each of the commandments is love, right? The first four, how to love God. And the last six, how to love your name. It, it's, it's the principle of each one is love. That's why you have this, this marriage almost of the groom and the bride on the top of Mount Sinai. God is telling them, I want you to go into the land of Canaan. And I want you to be free there. And in order to be free, you need to apply the therapy of the Ten Commandments. Do you think that's what God is saying? Go to Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy. And, and, and you know Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. This is, Moses wants to go into Canaan with God's people. He, he's not allowed. God says no. And he keeps tugging on God's heart. And God says stop asking because I may give in. Just stop asking. You see? And, and and so, Moses gives the law the second time. This is like his last sermon to God's people. And so, Deuteronomy chapter 5 is again, what? The giving of the ten commandments, right? But go to chapter 6. Watch this. I was just listening to a book this morning on the way here, and I was not reading it, all right? But I was listening. I've done that before and hit a car. Don't do that. All right. So, I was young and stupid. Now I'm older and... Less stupid, but... Okay, chapter Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, and these are are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded... To teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. So what is God telling them? Here's the therapy of the Ten Commandments. I want you to apply them to your lives when you go into the land of Canaan. Verse 2. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and commandments which I command you. You, your son and your grandson, all the days of your life. And that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be, what? Well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. And then notice the the principle behind the commandments. Hear, O Israel, this is the Shema, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall, what? Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your... Do you see what Moses is begging God's people? I want you to multiply, live happy, be healthy, be free in Canaan. But in order to do that, you need to observe. You need to apply. The therapy of the Ten Commandments. Because you love him. You see, when you take love away, that's when it becomes restrictive. When love is not in the picture, there's something very restrictive in the world. It's called vows that two, a couple make to each other. They tell the whole world, I'm going to be faithful to one person. I'm going to come home every night. We're going to work through everything together. We're not going to abandon each other. That's the most restrictive vows people can make. But they do it. They enter it. Why? A simple. They're in what? Love. And as I grew older, the restrictiveness of the commandments was not so restrictive when I started to see God not through just the eyes of my parents who took me to church, but through my own eyes. And realize how much Jesus loves me. Then the commandments were not restrictive. They freed me. What do they free you some? That's a great exercise for you to try one time. Go through each commandment and ask yourself. What does this commandment free me from? Like the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. It frees you from being a slave to other gods. Those are terrible gods. God of money. Are there people who are worshipping the God of money? The God of career. The God of uh, relationships. There are the God of of alcohol. The God of drugs. There are gods that people worship. And these gods wrap you in slavery. The only true God that frees you is our Heavenly Father. You shall have no other gods before me. That commandment frees you. To worship the true God. And we could go through all of them. The fourth commandment frees you from trying to earn salvation. You're resting. You're resting. The fifth commandment frees you to have a, a healthy relationship in the home. Between parents and children. Right? The sixth commandment, you shall not kill, frees you to have good relationships with With your neighbors, I mean, uh, that's good if I don't kill my neighbor or if he doesn't kill me. It also frees you to not kill yourself. We kill ourselves through addictions. We kill ourselves with the fork, slowly. There are times when I don't know when to put the fork down and stop eating. It frees you to a healthy lifestyle. To healthy relations. And you can look through all of them that way. That would be a neat exercise to do one day. Lord, how are you freeing me. Through this commandment. What am I enslaved to. That this commandment could free me out of. Materialism. Do not covet. Is there materialism today. Everywhere I, I go. Buy this and it will make you happy. For the next two minutes. Sure, it will make you happy. For the next two minutes. It's like kids. You buy them one thing. And then after that. Where's the next thing? And you buy them a whole. You know. Walmart. And they'll look at you and say. What's next? Materialism. God wants to free us. From the bondage of materialism. So. You find that the number 10. There's a number of completeness in Genesis chapter 1, in Exodus chapter 20, right? It is also the number of completeness in the New Testament. Go with me to, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Alright. We're getting there. See, we're already in the New Testament. We're close to Revelation. Don't worry, lunch is coming. Matthew chapter 5. Apparently not here. The kitchen is still under renovation. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Notice. Jesus goes up on the mount. And what we're told here is that Jesus sits and teaches his disciples. And he has the blessed, how many... If you count from verses 3 through 10, how many blesseds do you count? I should have counted them before I asked you, but verse 11, I'm sorry. Even verses 3 through 11, how many blesseds did you count? There's a little more than seven. Verse 3, blessed are the poor. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. I counted 9 from 3 through 11. Did you count 9? Yes. Well, you say, that's not the number of completeness. There's 9. 9 blessings. God frees us. Jesus frees us on the Mount of Olives with 9 blessings. Go over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And look with me at the fruit of the Spirit. You know, English is not my language. It's your language. It's my third language. So I, I, when I read fruit, that's singular. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's one fruit. Many vi- vitamins, right? There's a vitamin of love and joy and peace. But it's all in one fruit. Whose fruit? The fruit of whom? The spirit. I remember one time we were planting. My dad used to have a green thumb. He was great at it. I'm horrible at it. But when our kids were little, we had a little land. We planted something. Five minutes later, we don't see it. We do that with the Holy Spirit. I want love. I don't see it. Because it takes time. The therapy Of the Ten Commandments. It takes time for the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in our life. But we have to show up every day. How many vitamins did you find here to this one fruit? How many categories? Did you count them? Love. Love. How many? Nine. How is it that you go from the Old Testament where completeness is ten. And to the New Testament completeness is nine. No, it's still ten. There's an addition there. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the tenth. In order to have the blessings, we need the Holy Spirit to apply the therapy of the Ten Commandments. In order to receive the fruit, the complete fruit, you need the Holy Spirit to bring it. That's something that Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Romans, chapter 8. Watch this, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore no, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Why? They're justified. They're being sanctified, right? And one day they'll be glorified. No condemnation who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to what? There is this Holy Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me what? Free. Uh, Do you see the great subjects here? You have Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, but you have what? The law. The law of the Holy Spirit sets you what? Free. Do you want to be free? What freedom are you fighting for today? Are you mad about the fact that the government is taking away your freedom? You know, don't beat yourself up about that too much. I'm not happy with it, but you know what? I'm free in Jesus. I I know where I'm heading. I'm okay. And so instead of spending my time tweeting about what the government is doing, I'd rather be in the word of God, letting Jesus apply the therapy of the commandment so that I, that I can be free in Jesus, and then I can go to a dying world, tell them about where true freedom is. Hey, let's not talk about what they're doing. Let's talk about what Jesus is doing. Why bring the attention to earthly things? When we ought to bring the attention to Jesus Christ. I love this text. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, there are two different laws here, right? Law of sin and death and the law of the spirit. The law of sin and death. There's the law. The penalty of sin that leads to death. But there's the law of the Holy Spirit that sets us free. You know, our our completeness is found in Jesus Christ, what he has done, and how he is applying his blood to our lives to free us from the power of sin. There's a couple of texts that I want you to see actually. Just go to, let's see, go to Philippians first. You're you're around here, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I want you to see this. I love Philippians. It's a great, joyful book written by a guy who was in prison. He wrote it as if he was free in Jesus. But notice... Philippians 1, six, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We call that sanctification. Do you know that Jesus who has begun a work in you, you don't have to try to finish it yourself. It's not justification Jesus did, it's sanctification I do. He will finish the work in you. But you have to let him. It's almost like going to the therapist, but not listening to the therapist. You know, physical therapy. I don't care what kind of physical. You know, he tells you what you need to do, and you go home and you do the opposite. Are you going to recover? You know, Jesus Christ will finish the work in our lives if we let him. I'm confident of this thing Paul says. And I love the fact how uh, he puts it in Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14. I, uh, look at this. Hebrews 10 verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now again, the word perfected is past. But being sanctified is something that's taking place now, present. So in Christ, I'm perfected, but I'm being sanctified. And how does he do that? Watch this, verse 16. I will make with them after those days the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. The way that the Lord sanctifies us is he writes his law in my mind and heart. There's a difference. In the mind so that I may know the law, in the heart that I may love the law. There are two different things. There are many things that I know up here, but I don't want to do down here. Like when three in the morning and my wife wakes up to use the restroom and sees a spider and yells for me to kill it. Down here, I don't want to do it. Or when my kids misbehave and I'm tired and I just want them to do the right thing. Up here, I know that there are laws saying there are certain things I can't do. Duct tape them, you know. But it's not the law up here that keeps me from doing bad things and harmful things to my kids when they misbehave. It's that the law is, it's because I love my kids. Even when I'm upset, they are safe in my home. I love them. And God wants us not only to know his law. There are so many Christians that know his law backwards and forwards. They can quote it and they can point it out when you mess up. They know his law. Oh, but the heart is missing. There's no love. There's no kindness. God wants to write that law in our hearts too. And that's how you know the therapy is working. When I start loving people the way Jesus loves them. You know, I I, I was reading through a book by Nelson Mandela, A Walk to Remember. If there was ever a human being that gave his life for freedom, it was Nelson Mandela. I mean, for what, three decades he was in prison to to, to fight the apartheid in South Africa. He sacrificed a long time of his life for freedom, national freedom. He made, a, you know, he made a lot of good statements in his lifetime as he battled for freedom. Listen to this. He said this, though they took away my freedom, but that was the moment in my life I was set free. And then he said this, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. How many of us are fighting for a freedom that is first false, but isn't true freedom? And we would rather live in a country with national freedom and still be slaves to our sins than live in a world where we may not have national freedom, but we are free in Christ. Because often national freedom leads to a lack of true piety. Have you read Great Controversy, Chapter 1? Persecution will come when God's people truly follow the Lord. Um, There are going to be two groups in the last day. See, I told you we'll end in Revelation. We're at the end now. Revelation 14. Two groups. I think you get the point. Look at Revelation 14. You know the three angels' message. Let me remind you of the third angel's message in verses 9 through 11. Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast and his image and receive his mark on his forehead and on his hand, he himself also... Uh, shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torments ascends forever and ever. And they have what? They have no rest. They They have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. There's got to be at least one sermon to cover this whole thing. We don't have the time. All I want you to know from this is this is the last call before Jesus comes. It's almost like dinner in 15 minutes, dinner in 10 minutes, dinner in 5 minutes. Dinner is served. Come and get it. This is the last call. God is laying all the cards on the table and says, I'm coming. Please understand, I'm coming. If you're not with me, you are not free. You have no rest. You are searching for true rest. You're not going to find it. Oh, but there's a second group in verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who do what? Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. One group has no freedom. The second group is free in Jesus. Why are they free? They have applied the therapy of the Ten Commandments. I have a friend who, uh, lost touch with. We were good friends in high school. His name was Jamil. And we kind of become best friends. Uh, what first connected us was basketball. And then we worked together. Uh, and then we lost touch. Over the years, we, be- you know, I-, I found him on Facebook and we became Facebook friends, not the same, you know. I kind of stalk him on Facebook. That's, that's what I do. I stalk people on Facebook. And I just looked at where did life lead Jamil, who was a good friend of mine in, in, in Academy. And we kind of went our separate ways. But I saw him put this just a couple of weeks ago. He put this quote up on Facebook. And I took a picture of it. Because as I watched Jamil on fa- stalked him on Facebook, I was a little bit jealous of his life. Because he became pretty successful. You know, he wasn't a great student. In fact, he got kicked out of multiple schools because of, you know, fighting with the students, fighting with teachers. And and finally, the academy was the last stop. And he made it work there. But he became very successful. He started his own business. And it's called Traffic Jams down in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm looking for the quote. I'll find it. Don't worry about it. And he... He made a success of his business. And I sometimes envied him. You know, he, he, in his shop, it's a huge shop, he's working on cars and he gets all the best cars in Atlanta. I'll, I'll see him post pictures of Ferraris and Lamborghinis and all the nice cars. And, and he got to the point where he bought his own Lamborghini. And I see him on a, on his boat in Miami and Lake Lanier and, and, and doing all these. And I'm like, man, you know, he's, he's doing great. And, and there are times when I was like, wow. I don't drive a Lamborghini, but that's okay, you know. And then he put this quote on here. Let me find it for you because it was powerful. I know I took, it was during summer camp. The Lord has blessed us at summer camp. Let's see. Where is it? And the picture is around Mud Run. I have a lot of baptism pictures because the Lord blessed us with 40 baptisms this summer. All right. Notice. This was June 30th. As I lay here wide awake at 2 a.m. in the morning trying to figure out the true meaning of life. Happiness is a choice that we have to choose daily. It's a choice that seems easy to make, but it's way more complex for some people. I ask myself every day, what is my purpose in life, and how do I find that inner peace that many talk of? I will continue my journey trying to find that peace. Hopefully, one of these days, it will dawn on me. My heart broke for my friend, who I thought had it all great career plenty of money and he's awake two in the morning asking himself why don't I have peace (laughs) my heart broke for him could it be because he doesn't have Jesus Friends, the world is trying to distract us and divide us so that one day we wake up like the foolish virgin, virgins without oil. Don't be fooled. Don't try to fight a fight that is not our fight. You know what I'm talking about? It is time for the church to wake up, to fall in love with Jesus. To obey Jesus. To allow the therapy of the Ten Commandments to do its work. That we may have peace. That we may have freedom and completeness. Blessed are those who are faithful in the last days. They do what? They keep the commandments of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you and me that we apply the therapy of the Ten Commandments. In Jesus' name, that's my prayer. Amen.